Radio Theater Project. Radio Theater Project. A radio drama series featuring comedy, science fiction, and mystery. 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 Old stories and new. Radio Theater Project. Theater of the mind for today. I wasn't expecting you so soon after your calamity. I mean to keep my word, so I have come to tune your piano. Indeed. Uh, but join me for a cup of tea first. Martins, bring the tea to the drawing room. Thank you, Martins. You may go. Yes, ma'am. The brother of my butler, Chester, is looking for work, I believe. Are you sure you want to keep Martins? Martins does his job well enough. You don't find his voice irritating? He is like, like a, an old favorite piece of furniture. Slightly askew, but if you allow for that, you still find it comfortable. Well, if you change your mind. Oh, do stop, Norman. How is your arm? Two more months and the cast comes off. Oh, you will be pleased. When that lovely man, Colin DeFrayer, said you were in hospital, I tried to visit the very next day. The nurses said you had checked yourself out. Oh, I assured them that I would rest for a week at home, and I have done so. Crime waits not on the recovery of its adversaries. What happened? That's part of a larger story. Are you in such a rush to tune the piano? Not particularly. Right then. Won't you share it with me? It it involves Madame Colucci. As you well know, since Cece's dilemma, my tune has changed about her. Any tale about the pursuit of that ugh, devilish woman is one I want to hear. Very well. Might I guess your hospitalization had something to do with the Brotherhood of the Seven Kings? Quite. Crime Thriller presents the Brotherhood of the Seven Kings. These are the chronicles of Norman Head, who is fighting the Brotherhood's worldwide conspiracy of evil. The time has now come for him to tell of his adventurous tales. This time he tells the story of the Swinging Duke, Part 1. Based on the stories by Robert Eustace and L.T. Mead, written for radio by Glenn Hibbert. The account begins as it usually did in Dufrayer's office. I got your telegram last night. You wanted to see me. How about on this wall, Colin? Any wall will do, Loftus. Yes, Head, I'd like to introduce you to some of the team I've assembled. I'd say the light is better, Colin. Very good, Loftus. <clears throat> On your right is Superintendent William Ford from The Yard. Next to him is Rick Tyler, Special Police Investigator, and Miss Grace Berenger, Independent Field Agent. Monsieur Frontiac Larea was unable to be here today. And what is Monsieur Larea's specialty? Theatrical agent. Oh, well, we need all the help we can engage. Indeed. And you're sure you don't mind me putting a tack in, Colin? That'll be fine. And the gentleman hanging up that lovely painting? Oh, <laughs> he's a portrait artist. Er, not part of the team. And you don't think it's a problem that he's in the room with us? We are discussing strictly private matters. The two of us have known each other for a number of years. And? Well, Colin was there at the delivery of my son, Mr. Head. He stepped in as a support for my wife, as circumstances had delayed me. For two years, I've been meaning to paint a portrait for him. 
What do you think? Perfect place for it. Not too dark, not too light. Excellent. I'll leave you to your secret meeting. <laughs> Would you like to address the team, Head? Uh, right. Uh, I'd just like to thank all of you for your willingness to bring Madame Colucci to justice. I understand you're footing the bill, uh, putting money where your claim is. Mr. DeFrayer told me when I first signed up that you are extremely serious about your beliefs, and to me that warranted merit. I've been prepared upon the outset to entertain the idea that a secret society may exist. While Tyler entertains the idea, I just want entertainment. Though I have to say, of late, the fun has waned somewhat. Not only does the secret society exist, Mr. Tyler, it does so through the instrumentality of a woman unparalleled in her capacity and genius. But we will not shrink back. You are the most clever and up-to-date detectives Mr. DeFrayer has employed. I expect excellent work. Do you have a report, Superintendent? Yes, but best hold your praise, Mr. Head. Many a clue arose and we followed each very carefully, but invariably we were led to disappointing results. We can't pin her to anything. She's eluded our every effort. It's infuriating. She will have a large network of Confederates willing to incriminate themselves to cover her tracks. That we can now say with certainty. And what about Hugh Doncaster? Have we apprehended him at least? Hugh Doncaster? Yes, he hired Madame Colucci to do away with a 12-year-old boy, Lord Cecil Kenyon. We've not been briefed on this man. Holding out on us, Dufrayer? Colin, have you not pursued him? <sighs> My agents have been spread thin, Head. I felt that Colucci was the priority. True, but I want to bring closure for Mrs. Kenyon. I'll continue this conversation with you later, Head. Is there anything else? I can report that I have been invited to dine with an old friend, Harry DeBrett. Several esteemed men and women will be in attendance, including, he tells me, Madame Colucci. Aha! Uh -huh. Before we raise our hopes, Beringer, note that when she puts in an appearance, she will utterly cover her tracks. Her visit may be completely innocent, but I see criminal activity in anything she does. It will not hurt to have agents on site in the shadows. So my question is then, what might be gained in her association with Mr. DeBrett? An insightful question. Harry has recently succeeded his father's business in the city, an old banking firm. Ah. I shall have a two-man team ready. Now, if you'd like to dismiss yourselves, I shall speak with Mr. Head alone. Before you say anything, Head, for a conviction, just as we need proof of Madame Colucci's deeds, so must we have proof of Doncaster's guilt. Mean like a receipt titled, For Nefarious Services Rendered, signed Catherine Colucci and Hugh Doncaster? That would be lovely, yes. Because witnessing the two together that night, behind the barrels, is not enough. Still, he'll put a step wrong, and we will be there to nab him. What you said to Mr. DeFrayer about closure for Cecil and I is right, Norman. We will not rest easy until Doncaster is put away. Listen, Julia, I, I don't want to upset you anymore. Should, should I just tune the piano? No. Please, go on. At least till the dregs of our pot of tea. Very well. At the appointed hour, I found myself at DeBrett's beautiful house in Bayswater. As promised, DeFrayer sent two of his people, Tyler and Beringer. From the grounds, they set to watching the house. 
Good to see you, Norman. It's been quite the number of years. Harry, this woman that stands beside you, could this be the girl that I remember? <laughs> My daughter, Geraldine. May I take your hand? Come and stand beside me at the window. I am so glad that you were able to come. I want to introduce you to Carl, the Duke of Frederick. He'll be here shortly. Father will wait till we toast at table, but I am just bursting to tell someone. Father is going to announce my engagement tonight. Oh, and my heartiest congratulations. And who will you wed? Why, the Duke! I should very much like to meet him. He is anxious to meet you as well. Really? Surely the Duke of Frederick has never heard of me. He says he has. Hmm. Where from? From your reputation in scientific circles. I've not done anything of late to warrant any great reputation. Listen, I think my father is about to announce him. And what of the Duke countenance? Six score and thirty. Blue-eyed, blonde hair, clean-shaven. Had rather the profile of a Teutonic knight. It seems that Dukes are rarely allowed to be ugly. Did you have a chance to talk? Briefly. I am very glad to make your acquaintance, Mr. Head. Yours is a name of distinction in debut of science. Surely that can scarcely be the case. There are some that call me overly cautious, but I confess I am wary of flatterers. I assure you, I have no secret motive in flattering you. It is true that I'm fond of original research, but up to the present I've purely worked for my own pleasure. Nevertheless, Divert has whispered of you. Are you currently researching anything at the moment? Presently, I'm studying the effects of a powerful cathode and x-rays. Fascinating. Specifically, the marks that the radiation... I, too, occasionally have lost myself in science's torturous mazes. I have lately started a laboratory of my own, but I have to make room in my life for another love. Yes, you simply must make room for your traditional Austrian dance, Carl. Mr. Head, I never wanted to dance until I met the Duke. Now, I love it. Liebchen, I meant more room in my life for you. Oh. <laughs> if everybody would kindly make their way to table, places have been marked. Well, it appears, Harry, that Madame Colucci is late. Ah, actually, I received word earlier in the day that she had something urgent to do this evening. She is staying at my friend Stephen Campbell's guest house down the road. I, I do apologize, Harry. I should have done so earlier, but will you allow me a moment to freshen up before I sit at the table? Oh, of course. Woo! Woo! Mr. Head, breaking cover. Stay behind the bush. I'll be quick. Earlier I saw a guest house less than a minute away, a modest brick building with a hedge. It happens that Madame Colucci is staying there. She has not turned up this evening, so get yourself over there just in case of any developments. After a very good meal, guests chatted amongst themselves and had nightcaps. Soon after 11, those staying at Debrett's estate retired to bed and other visitors took their leave from the house. I too had turned my thoughts to pillow and sheet when DeBrett invited me into his private smoking room. <sighs> Cigar? No, no thank you. Sit, please. Nightcap at least? Something creamy and sweet with a vodka base. Not stirred, shaken. Sounds elaborate. Something a spy might drink, perhaps. <laughs> Barkeep? Preparing it right away. Have you enjoyed your evening, Head? Very much. I only ask because at times you look decidedly uneasy. It wasn't the food I hoped. Not at all. Indeed, please pass my compliments on to your skilled cooks. So, tell me your thoughts about my future son-in-law. Isn't he a 
capital fellow. Uh, handsome, courteous, mature. Wonderful! You have formed a favorable opinion then. No, just an observation. I never form an opinion quickly. Ah, you're too cautious. Take my word for it, he's all right. Also, I might add a great catch for my little girl. But will she be happy? Happy? The Duke is a man of the world, and near twice her age. That's not the point. It is security. <sighs> she, of course, has plenty of money in her own right. But the Duke does not only mean wealth, but also prestige. Where does he come from? Bolivia. And the title is genuine? Damn it, Head! I do not mean to offend. Let me try and put your mind at rest. Soon after the great Duke of Marlborough Wars, and almost immediately after the Battle of Blenheim, the Austrian government took possession of the Dukedom of Frederick. Until lately, the family have remained in exile. But a year ago, the present Duke regained his rights in all the great estate. And how did you meet? By no less a person as Madame Colucci. But of course. Here's your drink, sir. Thank you. That does smell grand. Do one for me, Quivers. Yes, sir. I'd heard of Katharina Colucci long before I had the pleasure of meeting her in Scotland. She happens to be visiting the Campbells. Lucille, Stephen's wife, had gone along to an herb and spice exhibition that Katharina was presiding over and had invited her back for tea. The Campbells? Isn't that who she's staying with? Yeah, I understand your confusion. They reside in Scotland, they just have a guest house here. Uh, she is a most remarkable woman, Head. Fascinating, intelligent, and good-natured. Wise men and women alike fall at her feet. Yes, isn't it sickening? I understand your frustration, Head. You're still single. She is desirable. No doubt married men, too, might rather like to pursue her. I am certainly in pursuit of her. <laughs> I do not blame you, Head. You have fallen under her spell, have you not? Uh, you could put it that way. But there must be something else. You wear at present an air of quite painful mystery. Is there more you can tell me about the Duke? More? Debrett, do you trust my intuition? Do you trust that I would not pry into your affairs unless I believed it utterly necessary? You are a curious fellow, Norman. Please believe my circumspection is in your best interests. I have nothing much else to say. He dabbles in the stock market now and then, but nothing serious, you understand. Uh, he has asked you for a loan, hasn't he? Your insight is maddening, Head. You really should consider employment as a private investigator. How drastic. Not in the slightest drastic. I was happy to put it up. Has collaterally deposited some of the most splendid diamonds any would wish to see in one's life. Each stone is historical. I am honored to have them. I went through every step of my security, and he was assured of their safekeeping. It sounds drastic. Is the loan so large that he would put up such important diamonds? No, Head. It was a trifling one, and if you are about to ask how much, I will consider the question infringing on the privileges of even my oldest friend. I do hope he promptly pays you back. Very soon, in fact. He wants the stones back so he can set them into a diamond necklace in time to present them to Geraldine on their wedding day. That is, of course, if it's all right with you, Head. Your drink, sir. Ah, good fellow. I certainly need one. Will you excuse me a moment, sir? I need to relieve myself. But of course, Quivers. In fact, you may relieve yourself from the day's work. Yes, sir. Forgive me, Harry. I fear I have utterly silenced you. Not you, Head. Speaking of Geraldine, just now has filled my mind with memories. It is a great wrench, parting from the little one. I can only imagine the pain of seeing one's own child leave the nest to go to another's tree. Yes. I do hope you will be blessed and burdened with your own child one day, Head. 
you might then understand what it is to be in my shoes. When are they to be wed? Oh, between now and the 25th of December. I will place a notice in the papers tomorrow, and will do so happily. Despite your reservations, I've grown fond of Carl. I'll not have you trample over my trust in him. All I have, Harry, is a warm interest in all that concerns you and Geraldine. I know I come across cold, but I have a great- I'm no longer interested in what you have to say on the matter. Please leave and close the door behind you. Of course. Any luck? It's been a dull night. And a cool one. Oh, you poor child. <sighs> Wasn't whining, just observing. I saw no glimpse of Colucci. Come all this way just to commune with the trees. At least one of the guests could have been courteous enough to murder someone. Oh, you poor child. Enough. That is in very poor taste. I would not wish death on anyone just to alleviate your boredom, Beringer. Did you see absolutely nothing out of the ordinary? Great or small? I want to hear it. If it's normal for a mere barkeep to pull a duke away from more esteemed company and conduct a low-whispered conversation, then no, not anything out of the ordinary. Interesting. When? Just before you came out? Damnation! I, I fear I've been careless. The, the things that I said in the presence of the barkeep... Uh, sometimes I become too self-indulgent and I speak too easily. I've upset Harry and he'll be in no humor to hear any more warnings. <sighs> Tyler, your assignment? Assignment? House watching, you mean? I sent Tyler to investigate the guest house that DeBrett said Colucci was staying at. If you had gone too, you might have not caught the Duke and the barkeep secret rendezvous. Besides, I just happened to step out onto Tyler's grounds. How fortunate for him. And to think, Beringer, you insisted I take the front of the residence. What did you say? It's the back end of the house that hides the best plots, and I'll be the one to catch the secret ones. Which, incidentally, I did. Still, I want to tuck my teeth into the shark, not at suckerfish. What happened, Mr. Head? It was one of those unexpected turn of events. Colucci failed to come and dine with us. Explains why my sharp eyes saw her not. That's some comfort. What did you uncover, Tyler? Through the windows of the guest house, I couldn't see Colucci, so I approached the door and knocked. A man answered and introduced himself as the owner. I tried to peek past him and see if Madame was inside, but not as surreptitiously as I'd have liked. When challenged, I risked a gambit. Please forgive me, I am terribly excited. I heard a rumor that the spectacular Madame Colucci was staying here. She is not. I see you're very astute, so I'll come clean. Mr. DeBrett was so delighted she was here, he let slip she was staying in this guest house. I cannot help you. I don't want much. Just an autograph. Please leave. Oh, come now. Don't be like that. I'll just... I said she's not here. She shipped out. Shipped out? Yes, it's what one does when leaving a country for another. She took a ship. An ocean liner. Well, thank you. Just thank you? You wouldn't happen to know where she's sailing. I'm going to get my gun. Now. Uh, that's all right. I know when I've overstepped. Good night, sir. Well, I must say it's not exactly the most orthodox way to get intel, Investigator Tyler. However, I commend you on this unusual way of extracting vital information. Been done before, but I shall receive your compliments. Don't look smugly at me, Tyler. What was my information, I ask you? Just a barely useful tidbit. Did you ask for the man's name? No, I didn't think he'd give it to me. Still, you should have tried. He was going to get his gun. 
No longer the favorite, Tyler. I was under the impression that I had an elite and strictly professional team. Petty rivalry is beneath you. Both things discovered tonight will help paint the greater picture. Not petty. Friendly. So you say. Hmm, Colucci was using the house because the Campbells are at home in Scotland. So I have to wonder... Hmm. Right. You're both dismissed. Before heading home, tell DeFrayer tonight about the Duke and Colucci's sudden departure. Oh, and also ask him to invite his artist friend to the office. I'll meet with them both at noon tomorrow. Extraordinary! This is very good, Mr. Durham. Well, I'm sure I couldn't have done it without Mr. Tyler's keen attention to detail. I draw from still models, not usually verbal direction. I rather quite enjoyed it. You'll be able to turn your hand to do it again shortly, if you have time. You recognize this fellow, Mr. Head? I certainly do, Tyler. DeFrere, will you please join us at the table? I do have work of my own, Head. You have Mr. North? Had. His fiance called in. Said he wasn't well today. I'm sorry to hear that. It'll only take a moment. Come and look at this picture Mr. Durham sketched. If it'll only take a moment. This man Tyler saw last night has recently been in Madame Colucci's company. Recognize him? You know very well that I do. Yes. Hugh Doncaster. If Tyler and I had known about Doncaster instead of play acting, he could have arrested him on the spot for illegal squatting. Not if Colucci had willingly invited him onto the property. She was no longer there. We could have brought him in for questioning. All right, Head. You've made your point. Look, I, I know you're not used to answering to me, and I don't wish to be a lion tamer holding the whip and making you jump through hoops. However, while I don't have any real attachment to money, I do like to get what I pay for, and that means thoroughness. I can tell you that we have recently been thorough. Tyler and Berenger told me about the Duke last night, and very late, I don't mind telling you. Your money has us in your hands, Head, but I will not have operatives waking me up at half past one in the morning, whether on your order or not. Forgive me, I did not mean for that to happen. I do forget what time is when Colucci invades my every thought. Do not forget in future. Now that is out of the way. Let me tell you that Inspector Ford has been fervently researching the Duke, and we've discovered a couple of things. He moves in high circles and lives a pretty fast life. He shoots at Hurlingham, drives his own drag, rents a moor in Scotland, and has a suite at the Hotel Cecil. Nothing criminal can be found about him. However, he is often seen in Madame Colucci's company. Sadly, it's all superficial, but I appreciate the effort. There may be a gym in there, but I don't see it right now. Anyone looking into what ocean liner Madame Colucci is boarded and where she is going? I have men on the docks looking into that right now. Berenger insisted on going along with them. I pity any one of my men who tries to joke with that humorless woman. We'll find the key to Madame Colucci's ship. Ha ha ha! The dock's key! Oi! That is atrocious! Yes, I pity the man, all right. Mr. Durham, are you ready to use your pencil again? At your service. Just give me a few minutes.
done, Mr. Head. And that's it. Brilliant, Durham. Spot on for the Duke. Before I forget, Head, you better look at this telegram. It came for you at 10. Meant to show you earlier. It says it's from Harry DeBrett. It reads, I think you're right about the Duke. Meet me at the bank no later than a quarter past four. Well, I've got two hours. I, I have some things at home to do, then I'll be right over there. Are you sure it's not a trap? Why would Harry set a trap? Wouldn't hurt to tread carefully, Mr. Head. You said yourself he was upset. Before I left this morning, Geraldine said he wanted reconciliation. Did Harry give you any indication that he distrusted the Duke? No. So why now, all of a sudden? It could be for any number of reasons. Not a lot of time has passed since last night, Head. What drastic thing, short of harming his girl? Why, DeFrayer, that could be it! Oh no, Geraldine! Think, Mr. Head. If Harry DeBrett and his girl is part of a larger scheme, then why would the Duke jeopardize that? I agree with Mr. DeFrayer. It could be a trap. Well, what would you have me do? Just not go? I must do so. If I don't, the setters of this assumed trap will be tipped off by our suspicions. Oh, you'll go, all right. He He will? will? I will? My next visitor should be at the door any moment. Enter! Thank you. Blimey, he doesn't sound like you, but in looks. He's my doppelganger! I'll stop there. Don't you dare. But I must tune your piano. But how can there be another you? You'll find out. And I still don't know how you ended up in hospital. And I can't tell you yet. If you'll look, we've come to the dregs of our pot of tea. You would be my torturer, Mr. Head. Head? Head! Now you sit there and watch me if you like, but I'll not share another scene until I'm done. (sighs) Then you will have to stay for dinner. Because I won't let you leave this house until your story is done. I accept. I'll send Martins right away to overlook your work. You wouldn't. Oh, good afternoon, Mr. Head. Mrs. Kenyon. Julia? Julia! I hate friendly rivalry! Crime Thriller presented The Brotherhood of the Seven Kings, The Swinging Duke, Part 1. Based on the stories by Robert Eustace and L.T. Mead, written for radio by Glenn Hibbard. Starring Steve Chambers as Norman Head. Also in the cast were Rosner Gideon as Rick Tyler, Cordelia Cloak as Julia Kenyon, Kelly Viston as Grace Berenger, Steve Abrahamson as Loftus Durham, Reed Thompson as Colin DeFrayer, Skylar Jones as Harry DeBrett, other parts played by Jim Galland, Derek White, Daryl Moffat, James Anderson, and Brian Grote. I'm your announcer, Ann Bodle Nash. Theme music by Dance Macabre by Camille Sanson, performed by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Sound design and dialogue editing, Jay Charles. Recording technician, Laura Penn. Produced and directed by Robin Candelaria. Recorded in partnership at KSVR Studios in Mount Vernon, Washington. This is a Radio Theater Project presentation.